So we are continuing the series uh, this morning as we, as we look at the, the final um, piece of the armor. Um, and again, we've been wor- working our way through uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, where we see Paul describes this spiritual battle that we all are, are in because we are made in God's image, and we are humans made in his image, and therefore we are a part of this battle. We don't get to choose whether we're in the battle but we can choose how we respond to it. Right? And, and as, we, as we see that, as we, as we follow Christ, we, we see how he has set us up for this battle and to be on the front lines. And again, as the church, we are on the front lines of this fight. And which is so very true right now, right? And we feel that. As we look at again and through the, the book of Ephesians, we, we've seen this letter and how, church, how Paul addresses these big picture purposes that God has for the church. And he has called us as the church to be, to stand firm on the front lines of this great spiritual conflict. Again, our our theme verses for this series have been Ephesians 6 verses 10 and 11. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We know who the real enemy is, right? The real enemy is the devil and, and, uh, and evil in our world, that's what the real battle is, is between good and evil. And yet we also know that God wins, that God is more powerful, and that he calls us, as he says, to fight with God's power, not our own. Right? And when we feel weak, it is when he is strong, because we focus on his power, not our own. Right? And, and we understand, again, that, that God has equipped us with all these different pieces of armor to get us ready for the battle. And we've, we've worked our way through all of these different pieces as we've, we've focused in on Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. And, and I want to read that passage again one more time this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you are welcome to use. And you'll notice the page number of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. So we're going to read this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, picking up at verse 13. Where it says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So as we see again this, this explanation of, of, and description of, of all the different pieces that a soldier would put on to prepare himself for battle. And, and Paul had this, this uh, just example in front of him as he writes this letter from a prison cell and a Roman guard would have been around him at all the time and just looks at all of these pieces of the armor and he, he, he describes them in the order that a soldier would put them on because they all are connected and they're all kind of built on top of one another. And we've seen that throughout these past weeks as we've studied the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and then the shield of faith 
And last week we looked at the helmet of salvation, and then today we focus on the sword of the Spirit. Now as we, as we look at that and, and, and again focus in this morning on the sword of the Spirit and exactly what that is, I'll say is we have one more week. Next, next week we will conclude this series, and, and that's where we're going to focus on verse 18 and on the, the, the prayer that is to cover over the entire concept. And so we're going to focus on that next week as we wrap up this series. Um, But today, again, I want to highlight, focus on verse 17. Okay, verse verse 17 um, is, and I got them out of order, but here we go. Verse 17 says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We see this, this sword, this is the last thing to grab. Um, and, and again, for the, the Roman uh, warrior, is that they would grab a sword uh, that was, it, it is commonly known as the Roman gladius. And that is this, this longer sword that we, we see there. That was the, the, the one that they would be issued, the one that they would normally uh, always use and take into battle, but but the the uh, the warrior would not always carry that sword with them. And just like a gun to our warriors today, right? Is that they all have guns? They're issued to them, and it's it's a part of of their normal, um, you know, day to day operations. But but they don't have it with them all of the time. They the, the other thing though that they would have that, that many would have would be these smaller daggers, right? And these these uh, these Roman Roman daggers or short sword, as it was commonly called. And this was one, again, that they would keep with them all the time. Hey, now, the word that Paul uses here in verse 17 uh, to describe the, the sword okay, is a very generic Greek term for sword. Okay, now, there are very specific words, right, for the gladius, for the short sword, for those, and that's not the word that he uses here. He uses just the very generic word for sword, which means it could mean any and all of them. And so, but as we realize that and, and, and see again the, um, the, just the ramifications of, of having the sword, we first need to realize, right, that it is the sword of the Spirit. And especially when we think about a weapon in this way, is, is we think about our own power, right? Do I know how to use this weapon? Can I yield the weapon? It's, it's my choice when I take the weapon out or where I keep it put away. And, and, and how I, I use it and handle it has a lot of ramifications to any deadly weapon. Right? And yet, Paul reminds us that this sword is, is about the Spirit of God. Right? And his presence and his wisdom and his power and, and everything that when we do yield this weapon, that it is not on our power, but it is truly the sword of the Spirit. It is God's power that works through it, that makes it effective. Okay, also we need to realize as we, as we start into our, our study of the sword is that, is that the sword is a weapon. It is an offensive weapon. It is the only offensive weapon that is uh, described in this armor. But it is not just an offensive weapon. It is also a defensive weapon. It is both. Right? And we see, again, all these pieces of armor that, that if we've described up to this point have, have all been defensive in nature, right? They're all there to, to be the stopgap of the battle to protect us from being attacked when we are attacked. And yet, 
Here we have the sword, which is also used in a defensive way. But at the same time, it is the only offensive weapon that we're given. And as we, we see again, the, there is much biblical significance of a sword. In fact, the sword is the most mentioned weapon in all of Scripture. Okay, we see the sword mentioned in many, many different passages and scriptures and stories. It, we see it described in many ways, it, and there's, there's a lot of symbolism that comes with the sword within the overall big picture of scripture. So we're going to start this morning just by looking at, at, at the biblical significance of a sword. Okay, what does it represent? Okay, the first thing that we see is that the sword in the Bible is oftentimes associated with the mouth and or with, with words. Now, we already saw earlier in the study that, of how, again, with the shield of faith, that, that, that arrows, right, can be, can be words and lies of the enemy, but yet we also see that, that the, the sword is, is a wide, broader description. Hey, we see as, as well that, that these words that are described many times are associated with the mouth and, and with, with people's words. Um, again, they can be positive and they can also be negative. Now, obviously, we see with the shield of faith, right, that those fiery arrows are always lies because they come from the enemy, but that's not true with the sword and with the description of the sword within, within the Bible. Start with Psalms 64.3, and it says that they sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their bitter words like arrows. So again, we see once again that, that the sword is used for more general talk, and yet these arrows, again, are honed in on negative talk. Right, but we see again, once again, that we've seen throughout this study already, that, that words are very powerful. Right, that words can be offensive or defensive, that, that they have a, a big potential right, to be good and or to be bad. Right? And yet, how many times, again, have we felt the sharpness of people's words? And yet, we see, again, this, this description. Now, uh, within that is we fast forward all the way to the end of the book when we get into to Revelation chapter 1, verse, verse 16. It says that, that Jesus held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. This is at the very beginning of the revelation. This is when John kind of turns around and sees that Jesus is speaking to him and giving him this vision. And this is his description of Jesus, a portion of the description that he gives us, the beginning of, of his record of this vision. Right? And notice again, the, the, the illustration, the, the description of, of Jesus and, and the words that are coming from his mouth is, is like a sharp, two-edged sword. Again, is this a physical reality that, that John saw? I mean, I think we realize that it's not. Right? And yet, we, we understand the weight of what he's describing. That the words of Jesus are like a sword. As, as we see again this, this, this biblical description, okay, when we understand that, that the sword is oftentimes you know, referred to of the mouth and the words, 
But we also see within Scripture that the sword is a symbol of God's judgment. And oftentimes these words, again, of of Jesus that that seem like a sword, that that they come many times in in words of judgment. And we see that a, a sword is a very serious, deadly weapon. It can be offensive and defensive. And, and again, truthfully, the words of judgment, right, are either, either incredibly defeating, right? Because if, if you're guilty, you don't want to be here the words of judgment. But the other side of it, right, is, is judgment words can also be free if you have nothing to hide, if you're not guilty, if, if you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and it comes down, it's like, bring on the judgment. Right? Because I know what happens after I go through the judgment. I end up with God in heaven. And the sword is offensive and defensive. Right? The words even of Jesus that come in judgment are, are not necessarily discouraging right? if we are truly living out the gospel in our lives. Hey, we look in, in Isaiah 49.2 and it says, He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. Again, these are the words of the prophet Isaiah. Right, and we see again through that, that those times that we see those, those Old Testament prophets and how, again, their words were oftentimes sharp. Their words were many times given in judgment. Right? But again, it was, it was meant as a positive thing for Israel to turn them back to the path they were supposed to be on. Like judgment is not always a bad thing, even though we tend to see it in a, in a negative light if we are guilty, right? And yet judgment can be something that puts us on the right path again if we've wandered away. Especially, again, if we can, can be protected in the shadow of his wings. And I think you, you see, again, Isaiah kind of references that, right? Like, yes, my words come, but yet I'm under God's protection. And that, that is the story of the gospel, right? Is that we are protected from judgment because of the blood of the lamb. And we see again, this, this illustration continues to progress as we see the, the story of redemption that, that runs through the Bible. And, and then we get to Jesus's life. And Jesus' life is portrayed like a sword. What did he come to accomplish? What, what, did he, what did he teach? What did he show the world? And we see that Jesus' life truly is manifested in a lot of ways in the same illustrations we see through Scripture of a sword. See, in John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Because John describes the Messiah, right, of, of our God putting on human flesh and stepping into our world. Right, but notice again, how does he describe him? He describes him as the word. And that is an ongoing symbolism in scripture of a sword. In fact, we see, right, we already looked at, I mean, the same man who wrote this verse is wrote the Revelation verse, right, about Jesus and the sword coming of his mouth. 
again, the, the sword became human and made his home among us. Jesus' life, again, is pictured as a sword. Again, God's words, his prophecies, and even the character of God are all manifested in Jesus. Again, you see, if we've seen him, we have seen the Father. Right? Which is exactly what Jesus tells us. Right? We see in Luke chapter 22, verses 33 through 35. And again, this is, this is where Mary and Joseph take Jesus into the temple right, to be dedicated. And Simeon, again, is, is, is prophesying over this Christ child. He says, Jesus' parents, again, were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Again, Simeon, I get prophecies over this Christ child, everything that, that the Messiah is sent here to do and everything he's going to accomplish and, and realizing again that he is going to create a divide, which is exactly what a sword does, isn't it? Is it creates a divide, right? It separates the good from the bad, the truth from the lies. Right? A life focused on the positive side of judgment or on the scary side of judgment. And as Simeon tells, looks at Mary and says, Mary, this, this kid's life, it's bigger than you realize. And it's going to be a sword. And it's going to pierce your very soul. And again, and we, we, we see that even, even through the story of, of Easter. And, and as we follow that, and again, as we move on to that next, when we're done here, we'll again see just the, the, how the heart of Mary was literally ripped out through the events of that week. Okay, and, and we, again, can, can identify with, with how Jesus' life truly becomes a sword. Because with his life comes judgment. And because of his life now defines what holy is and what it looks like in our world. Jesus is the standard of judgment as well as he is the standard of holiness. Right? And a sword creates that division. Again, when the standard is clearly defined... Then all we have to do, right, is our job, which is the truth of the gospel. All we have to do is respond to that standard. You see in Matthew 10, verse 34, it says, Don't imagine I, that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. These are the words of Jesus. Right, that his life becomes manifested as a sword. Right? We, we also realize then that, that Jesus, again, not only just manifested and taught all these things, but Jesus lived out everything he teaches us to do. In fact, Jesus models for us the use of the sword in the wilderness against the enemy. Okay, his final preparations before, again, he, he enters public ministry. He, he is baptized by John in the Jordan, and then he goes out into the wilderness, 
Okay, and this morning I want to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to read this uh, and, and see as Jesus, again, shows us how to use the sword in our lives, in this battle, as offensive and as defensive. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it to all, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Because we see, once again, Jesus, Jesus modeled the use of the sword, of the word of God in the wilderness against the enemy. What do we learn from Jesus' Jesus's experience? There's, there's three things I want to point out this morning that we learn from this experience of Jesus. Number one is that we must know the sword well for it to be effective. Okay, we must know it well to be effective. Just like handling any weapon, it is a learned skill on how to properly handle a weapon. And it is also a perishable skill. Right? We must learn it and we must maintain it. And the same is true, again, with God's word, with our sword. Right? We must know it well for it to be effective. And why do we need to know it so well? Again, one of the big reasons that we again learn from Jesus is because the enemy uses Scripture out of context. Okay, notice that the enemy literally quotes Scripture to Jesus to tempt him. But he quotes it out of context. Because the truth is, you can make God's Word say anything you want it to say if you use it out of context if you take the words of scripture and take them again out of what they were originally intended to teach or to say or to direct us in, right? And people do it all the time. Use scripture out of context and make it say things that it, it was never intended to say. And that's exactly what the enemy does here against Jesus. Again, but yet when we compare those, those lies again to a known truth, when the better we know our weapon, the better we can recognize when it's used incorrectly. And which, again, the, the, the third thing I want to point out, though, is that we've already talked about, that Scripture is both offensive and defensive. Right? That we see Jesus use it in an offensive way and a defensive way in this battle 
with the enemy. Just like the sword, Scripture is, is defensive in keeping, keeping us away from temptations, providing us a way out of temptations, showing us, again, the path we need to be on. Or Jesus uses it in a in defensive way as it keeps Jesus from giving in to the, to the temptations that, that the devil threw at him. Okay, but also it was offensive in that it shut down the argument of the enemy. Right? And in fact, again, what, what happened here? What was the effect of Jesus using the sword of the enemy? Was the enemy fleed? Right, it says that, again, now, Scripture tells us, right, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But there's no timeline attached to that promise. Right? Notice the enemy attacked Jesus three times before he fled. fled. Right? And, and Jesus continued to use that sword in an offensive way and in a defensive way, right? And, and yet, it, it did happen. I mean, the enemy fled. Right? And it was used again in an offensive way. So then we just come to that question and we see how Jesus used it and then we must ask ourselves, how do I use the sword in my faith journey? Right? What am I supposed to do with it? Okay, when we, when we look at this again, uh, the, uh, we get instructions on, on how we're supposed to, to deal with the sword. And, and, and the first thing that we see is, is that I need to respect my weapon. I need to respect my weapon. Again, as we go through these and realize that, that the, these, these instructions we get on how to handle our sword are the same instructions that apply to any deadly weapon even today. Right? But first off is I must respect my weapon. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Again, as we, there's so much in all of these scriptures, so much in, in these things, again, that's, a ton to dive into, and again, something that we will do in our small groups if, if we meet in our small groups. If not, I encourage you to get those discussion questions and dive into it yourself, but, but as we see it, again, there's so much here, but again, there's, we read this about scripture, right? That it's inspired by God and everything that it's supposed to do in our lives, and it should elevate scripture to where it's like, I really respect this book and everything it's capable of, because it's not just a book. Right? It's, it's inspired by God. It is the word of God manifested through his people. And it's the story of redemption. And, and from, from the front cover to the back cover, it, it's, it's a love letter to me from my creator. I respect my weapon. Again, I know the, the history of my weapon and, and what it's designed to do. And I also know what it's not designed to do. I respect the layers of scripture and, and, the, and, and how useful it is, no matter what phase of journey I'm in in my faith, it is useful for me. The next thing, not only do I respect my weapon, but I trust my weapon. In Hebrews 4.12, 
says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joy and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Again, I trust what it shows me. I trust that God is telling me the truth. And what it says, I can put my full trust in. Why can I put so much trust in it? Well, it's because it's alive. Again, it's the sort of the spirit, right? It's it's God's spirit that is alive in these pages. And again, I'm reminded to fight with God's power, not mine. Also, it's alive in the fact that it's always applicable to my life. And I know that it's God's spirit is what truly makes it alive. And And it is God's spirit that exposes things that I can trust and that I know are true. And it's also powerful. It's powerful enough that I can rely on it. Right? That I know it will come through for me when I need it the most. And because it's powerful, I need to know when and how aggressively to use it. And to use it for the right reasons. Because it is powerful. And that power, if it's used in an incorrect way, can be incredibly damaging if that power is not harnessed correctly. Many people have been hurt by the Bible because it's been used in an improper way. Okay, next, not only do I respect my weapon, not only do I trust my weapon, but I also train with my weapon. Again, I need to train with my weapon. Joshua 1 Verses 8 and 9 says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, how do I get to that point where I'm not afraid and I'm not discouraged and the Lord is with me, everything? It's, well, I need to train with my weapon. I need to meditate on God's word all of the time. It needs to be a regular part of my life. Again, it is a learned skill and it is a perishable skill. I need to continually train with my weapon. Okay, and then lastly is I need to carry my weapon. I need to have it with me. Right, I can know it the best that I can know it, but yet, again, I can train with my weapon and, and know it and, and respect it and trust it, but if I don't have it when I need it, it's not going to be helpful. Now, again, we, we can carry our Bible with us, right? In fact, most we do carry our Bible with us on our phones. You have the, that where you have it with us all the time, but, but that's not always the best, but again, the best way to, to always have our weapon ready right, is, is to have it a, committed to memory. Right, so that in those moments, again, it's not, I'm not fumbling through the pages. I'm not having to go to Google to find it. Right? But yet, it, it, God can pull it up right away. And you see, that's exactly what Jesus does. Right? He's right there on the offensive with those verses. And he knows it. As you see in Psalms 119.11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Right? Because in those moments when you need the sword, God can't call out something that you haven't stored there. 
right? And there, there is incredible power in memorizing scriptures. So when we see, again, all of these, of these things, again, how do I, how do I make God's word a, an active part of my faith journey? I respect my weapon. I trust my weapon. I train with my weapon, and I carry it with me all the time. Right? And which leads into my final thought this morning, and that is this, that God's word is a powerful weapon that every war for Christ needs to take seriously. So is the word of the Spirit a part of your daily journey? It needs to be. Right? It, it needs to be a part of your daily journey. Right? And again, I don't know what step you need to take or, or what, which one you need to, to up in your life to make God's word you know, more important, more of a central place for your life and for your journey. But I hope that you'll commit to whatever step that is. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that the word became flesh. God, it understands everything that we deal with. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, we would, we would yield our weapon. God, we would respect it. We would trust it. Lord, we would train in it. And God, we would have it with us all the time. Oh Lord, especially in days like these. Lord, we trust in your word. We rely on your word. God, we will continue to, to study and, and to worship you through your word. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that as we are armed with your word, Lord, that we would truly go into battle and see you shine. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for equipping us for no matter what comes. Lord, as we go this week, Lord, we will go with the confidence of you, knowing you're with us, knowing that you're guiding our steps. And we love you, we praise you, and ask you, go with us now as we enter the battle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.